Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline, and what makes for a varied byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. This is Buried Bylines. Ep 3. Yes. We're trying this shit in person. Yep, we're recording with one <laughs> mic. Um, because we really don't know what we're doing. This but. feels like an actual circus, and I actually feel like this is going to be way more chaotic because I can look at you in person <laughs> now. But it's fine. We'll get through it. It's my turn Mm -hmm. to do a case. It's so weird looking. All by my lonesome. (laughs) I know you're not looking at me through a screen. The case I'm going to be talking about today is one that I still think about a lot. It's a story that we spent months covering in real time at the station. And it just has never really sat well with me. I don't know about you, but I have always wondered why this case didn't catapult into the national spotlight and garner more attention and honestly outrage, but I'm not going to sugarcoat anything in this episode because as we record, we are approaching the four-year anniversary of the disappearance of Naja Farrell. So we're two days away, actually, uh, from the four-year anniversary. Oh, my gosh. And police are seemingly nowhere near solving this Great. case. Great. I it's know. a literal Forensic Files episode. Like, I don't know why this didn't catch fire and I explode. I feel like we're going to record this episode and then, like, two documentaries are going to drop Probably. about it. But, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, March of 2019... Marked new beginnings and a bright future for 30-year-old Naja Farrell. She had just gotten a new job and she was engaged to be married. Naja was described by everyone as a very giving woman and a devoted mother of two biological children and three foster children. What an angel. I know. I know. On the morning of March 15th, Naja got up early for work. She had just started a new job at Panera Bread on the northwest side of Indianapolis. It was about a 25 to 30 minute commute from her apartment in Avon. If you're not familiar with the central Indiana area, Avon is a suburb just west of Indianapolis. So Naja woke up for work. She said goodbye to her fiance and let him know that he kind of had to get things going in the morning, get the kids up, get them out the door because she was going off to work. So she left her Avon apartment around 3 in the morning. I know. (laughs) We used to, to think about the fact that we used to go to work at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. That's two hours from now. (laughs) I just woke up from a nap. (laughs) It's okay. That's what normal people do. I know, I know. But I looked up the location of this Panera on West 86th Street near I-465 and it opens at 6 a.m. Okay, that was my question. I was like, why in the world is yeah. she leaving? So it opens at 6, but I also... Because this Panera used to be by where we worked. Yeah. And I feel like pre-COVID, it opened earlier. Oh, maybe. I feel like it opened at 5, and then with COVID and stuff, they pushed back. That makes but sense. But even if it was 6 o'clock, it's not 
crazy that she left the house around right. three. She just started, right? Yeah, she... So, like, she could have orientation or whatever, or just trying to get there early, make a good impression. Exactly. She had a 30-minute commute, and she was opening the store for the day. Yeah, and it's probably her first time if she just started, which is a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And then, like you said, she had... It was only her third day on right. the job, so she still had orientation and training, mm-hmm. so... It's not crazy to me that she, That's like, true. left super early Now like that, that you explained that, at first I was like, what? Yeah, unfortunately, Naja never made it to work that day. Some of her coworkers found it strange that she failed to show up on just her third day, but red flags started waving for Naja's family when they found out she didn't pick up her sons at school later mm, that day. Yep. That's when Naja's mom, Paula called the Indianapolis Metro Police Department and reported her missing. Initially, IMPD took over the case because the family thought that something had happened to Naja while she was at work. Oh, because that's technically Marion County. Yes. But when investigators discovered she never made it to work, the case was transferred to Avon Police Because that was where she had last been seen. That's when stuff gets messy, though. Exactly. Uh. So, (laughs) it's important to note that while Avon sits on the outskirts of Indianapolis, it's a smaller town with about 22,000 people. It's considered a nice, safe place to live and raise a family. The rate of violent crimes in Avon are about 74% lower than the national average, Compared to Indianapolis, where the rate of violent crimes are about 85% higher than the national average. Oh, God. All this to say that the Avon Police Department doesn't see as many missing persons or homicide cases compared to surrounding departments. That's true, because when something happened in the newsroom and it was in Avon or in Hendricks County, that's when you were like, we got to go cover this because it never happens. Right. It It seemed out of the ordinary. Yeah. And so, everything that I read up on and remember from covering this case indicated that Avon police were extremely invested in Naja's disappearance. And they took really swift action to begin investigating. But the only problem was they weren't handed the case over until 48 hours after Naja went missing. Oh, no. We know the golden 48 hours. There's a whole TV show about the first 48 hours. They're crucial. Yes. And her mother, Paula, told Fox 59 in Indianapolis that she felt like crucial time and potential answers were lost in those first two days. She's right. It's just statistically right. Yeah. Like, it's nobody's fault. It's just jurisdiction. Yeah, and I don't remember that detail. Like, it didn't pop out Mm -hmm. in any articles except for that specific one that I read from Fox 59. But... I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. It, it adds a lot of layers to why they didn't get more answers within yeah. the first couple of days. Because you're already behind, and so now you're playing catch-up. You might be rushing things. Crucial information you could have gotten in those first 48 hours could be gone by now. Yeah. So as soon as Avon police took over the case, they were out canvassing around Naja's apartment complex. They spoke to neighbors, friends, and family including her fiancé, who detectives determined was the last person to see Naja. Detective Bryant Nugent, who is now the deputy chief of police in Avon, said everyone cooperated with their investigation and there was no pushback, which 
is great news. That's, yes. like, what you want from an investigation. Mm-hmm. Except police left those interviews with more questions than answers. They said it didn't seem like there was anything unusual going on that may have sparked Naja's sudden disappearance. In an interview with media, Nugent called the case frustrating and inexplicable. Yeah, because if there's nobody that stands out, then you can't necessarily do the things you need to do to like go after them as a suspect. And if there's no one pointing you to which way you need to look, it's anything. Anything's yes. game. And I know even like in our last episode, we talked about how in most cases, the first person they'll talk to is like the partner, the right. husband, the ex-husband, the ex-girlfriend, whatever. I read in all of these articles that they talked to Naja's fiance, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look like he was ever considered a suspect, considered a, suspect a person of interest, anything like that. Which was very interesting to me. Like, I there know. was seemingly no information about... I couldn't even find a name. Really? Yeah. It just... Ref- he was just referred to as her fiancé. That's wild. Yeah. So, I don't know if maybe he really didn't want to be involved. Probably. Like, kept himself so far removed from it. Maybe that has to do with the kids and... That's true. And he's missing his... Like, his fiancé's gone. Fucks you up. Like... Yeah. Um, that's I know. tricky. I know. Roughly a week after Naja went missing, some of her belongings were found near I-65 and Lafayette Road. And that's not too far from the Panera where she worked. A report from ABC News indicates that those items were actually discovered at a construction zone near the highway. Police would not elaborate on, yeah. on what evidence was found. They only said that it belonged to Naja and it would be taken to the crime lab for examination. Officials also indicated there was promise in a scheduled aerial search near the highway. Shortly after that search, police were able to locate Naja's black Nissan Altima. It was found in a parking lot near 86th Street and Michigan Road, about two miles from the Panera where she worked. The only thing they didn't find, though, was Naja's phone. Oh, gosh. That's what you want to find the most, I feel like. Finding a phone in modern crime cases Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest pieces of evidence that you could gather because of all the location services that are on a phone. It's like make or break. Yeah. Almost. I don't think they ever found her phone. Gosh. And then, so how, do you know how far her stuff was from the car? So the her the items that yeah. were found were on they were near I sixty five and Lafayette Road, which is an overpass yes. on the highway. Yes, it seems to me stuff was thrown out of a yeah, win- yeah. out of like a window. Yeah, it's in a construction site. I mean, why would she be yeah. there? So I don't know if that was you know on the way and we don't away know what or stuff. yeah, we have no idea. Ugh. At this point. Police had conducted more than 40 interviews, poured over surveillance from 12 locations, and conducted 30 search warrants. Wow. A lot. That's a lot. That's why I said it's not like they're not doing anything. They're out there talking to as many people as they can. And despite persistent investigating, they were unable to name a person of interest or suspect in the case. Nugent told the media, quote, we are not ruling a single theory out. 
The discovery of Naja's car drew more attention from the public. At this time, the foster care agency that Naja was working with offered $2,500 in reward for information that led to her whereabouts or safe return. That's awesome. I know. Oh my so God. sweet. Ugh. So sweet. Within the first week of the case breaking is when it got the initial attention. Right. It was very... I remember it was very like, you know, an Avon mom, mm-hmm. she went missing, nobody's seen or heard from her, she had just started a new job. Mm-hmm. It was very unusual, Yeah. and the local media definitely took right. interest to it. Yes. And about a month later, on Monday, April 8th, the missing person case of Naja Farrell turned into a death investigation. Mm. 130 miles northwest of Avon... Two men found a severed foot while fishing in a retention pond near Crown Point, Indiana. Investigators said they were quickly able to link the remains to Naja Farrell thanks to a distinct tattoo which appeared to show the name Naja across the foot. DNA testing by the Indiana State Police Lab would later confirm what they initially believed. Can you imagine finding a foot? No. <laughs> And just a foot. Where is she? Just a foot. And that's when I want to ask you. I'm scared. What? what you what you remember about the case at this point when it came to hearing about this development yes. and what the newsroom atmosphere was like. I just remember when it came out. I think it came out during the day, and we were still following it for the morning after because it was the biggest thing of that day. And I just remember we were all like, they found her foot and that's it. Like, not the rest of her. Where is she? How to get there? Like, I I don't know. I just remember we were shocked. It's startling. It's super... And in Crown Point. It's like so far away. Yeah. So Crown Point is in this area of Indiana called the region, Northwest Indiana, that's almost like Chicago area. And that's far from Avon. Yes, it's very far. As you can imagine, after the discovery of Naja's foot, Crown Point police launched a thorough search into the pond and surrounding areas. Local firefighters and the Indiana Department of Natural Resources also assisted in diving, underwater sonar, and drone searches, but no additional evidence or remains were located. So, where, was it a lake? What was it? Where's A retention pond. Retention pond. So it's not connected to anything, is it? I don't think so. <sighs> Truthfully, I don't know what a How retention pond is. <laughs> I think it's just the pond, like, in the neighborhoods where kids fish. Like, they put stock fish in there, but it might be connected to, like, nearby... Yeah, it's an artificial Water. it's an artificial lake, so So like nothing feeds into it that we know of. Yeah. And they searched thoroughly. Yeah. And just the foot. Mm-hmm. Detective Nugent told the media, quote, It is truly the worst outcome that we could have experienced. The idea that Naja may not be with us anymore. No shit. Like, I I hate to say it like that, but it's when you find a severed foot from someone who's been missing for a month. Yeah. Sew it up and go on their way. Unless this was a spectacular torture. Like a legit Uh, movie. Yeah. Police said due to the findings of forensic 
pathologists, they believe nausea is dead and that foul play is suspected. But because they only found her foot, officials could not determine the cause or manner of death. Right. So as I'm walking you through this case, you're probably starting to have some of the the same thoughts that Megan and I and the rest of the newsroom were having. How the hell did partial remains from a missing Avon woman end up all the way near Chicago? It turns out Naja Farrell did have ties to Northwest Indiana. At one point, she had lived in Gary, which is about 20 minutes north of Crown Point. But that is literally the only thing police would tell us. There were no other possible explanations provided for this gruesome development. I will say Gary is scary. (laughs) Scary. Sketchy. Scary. Um, We did like... I remember running a story. It might have scary been, Gary. Scary Gary. It might have just been me putting this in my newscast because I'm weird. But the police were like, we need to tear down the vacant buildings because we always find bodies in them. People just, this is unrelated. Gary, unrelated. Unrelated. <laughs> unrelated. There's just, they just find bodies in vacant buildings. That's a thing in Gary. Cool. <laughs> also, how dumb are you to dump the one body part with her name on it? Well, that's what almost makes me wonder if it's less dumb and more calculated. Why? Like if they wanted they wanted people to know that she was dead, but they didn't want people to find her body. Then she's got to be in some deep shit or someone around her cuz that's like mob stuff. That is crazy. That's like horse and the baby carrot. No. <laughs> crib stuff. <laughs> The, what is that called? What are you the talking about? Oh. <laughs> they put the horse head, like, on the front step. <laughs> You're Italian. You should know. I know, but I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Okay. And we're only laughing because we're so creeped out. Moving on. Where is she? In the days and weeks that followed the water discovery, Avon police spent days combing a pond on Indy's west side for potential clues But again, they found nothing, and unfortunately, that's where information in this case dies off. As we sit here recording, this week marks four years since anyone has seen or heard from Naja Farrell. In the years since, there have been follow-up stories on the anniversary of her disappearance with a renewed plea for information. Naja's mother, Paula, says one of the most painful things for her is having to watch her grandkids grow up without a mom. That is so sad. It's literally heartbreaking. But I will say police have done a really good job at keeping it alive because I do specifically remember when this anniversary would come up to look on the Facebook page of the Avon Police Department. I think their cover photo is this. Currently? Yes. Well, it is timely, so it might be. I think it has been. I think they just kept it up there. Wow. Let me look. Well, I have to imagine this is probably the biggest thing that's ever happened in Avon. (laughs) That's also true. (laughs) That's also true. But I was thinking with the Crown Hill Police Department, that's another entity Mm -hmm. now messed into this whole thing. And that kind of makes... Oh, Crown Point. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of just makes things, information is spread around and Mm -hmm. someone might have thought, oh, I thought I passed that info along, but maybe they didn't. Yeah. And it's nobody's fault. Okay, so they have their cover photo as of September 21st, 2021. That's when they posted it, and Mm -hmm. they changed it in August of 2022. 
It's almost a whole year. Yeah, but yeah. they had it since 2020, I think right after she went yeah. missing. And it says, what happened to Naja Farrell? Please call Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana at 317-260-TIPS. And I had a picture of her. And she's beautiful. She's in a pink dress. <laughs> yes. I'm just so sad and I want to know where she is. I know. Ugh. So last year in 2022, the family said they would like to see more time dedicated to Naja's case. Paula says she will spend the rest of her life pushing for answers and justice for her daughter. Avon police say they continue to investigate Naja's disappearance and death, but do not have any updates. So something that I found interesting while doing my research, when I searched Naja Farrell and selected news stories in Google, it only generated about 200 total articles mentioning her name. 98% of those were from local outlets continuing their coverage of her disappearance, whether that be Indianapolis or Chicago after the, the foot discovery. What's even more interesting is this case actually generated some nationwide attention. Really? Yeah. I saw an article from NBC, ABC, The New York Post, People Magazine, and Oxygen. However, every single one of those articles was published in March of 2019. Yeah, and it was probably just a copy of the local story that they pulled off the wire or whatever. Yeah, and just days after that story had initially broke, that's kind of when yeah. the the local outlets were getting reached out to by national media. Since the discovery of Naja's remains, there have been no follow-up coverage, no nightly specials, no sit-down interviews with police or family members when it comes to national media. That's crazy, because... This story, again, has all of the elements that would be a crime TV show. People Absolutely. should be interested in this. Absolutely. Just for comparison, I thought I'd run a Google search on Shanann Watts. A case out of Colorado that I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with. In less than five years, Shanann's case has already been deemed infamous. Mm-hmm. News of her disappearance blew up and took over the nightly news. In case you were wondering, nearly 4,000 articles populated as a result of that search. To this day, Shanann's story continues to grab headlines even after her husband was arrested and convicted for her murder. Now, I know there are some differences in these cases, but I'm drawing the comparison here because these cases happened less than a year apart from each other. Shanann went missing in August of 2018, Naja went missing in March of 2019. Shanann was a mother of two and pregnant with her third child. Naja Farrell was a mother of five. Both of their disappearances were reported within the first 24 hours. When it came to a suspect, there was a bit more evidence in Shanann's case, but officials didn't find her body until her husband, Chris Watts, admitted to the murders of Shanann and their daughters. There has never been a suspect or even a person of interest named in the disappearance and death of Naja Farrell. Uh, this is when I wish I had some sort of surveillance camera on every police department in the world, so I can be like, what do you know? I know. That makes the difference. But at least it seems in Shanann's case, 
her husband was sketchy from the start. So yeah. he had somebody to like well, jump into. Stay stupid, Chris Watts. He, stay fucking stupid. He didn't Idiot. Do, he didn't do himself any favors. God. Um <laughs> circling back to the point of this podcast, why did one case blow up while the other barely gets yearly coverage? Similarly to the first two cases we touched on, Shanann's entire life was on social media. That's true. So many pictures, so much video, and they just had a lot to pull from. We have just that one picture of her, I think. Or there's like there two, are a couple. Yeah, there are a couple pictures of her, but there's not much. When it came to Shanann's case, their police, friends, and family had access, like you said, countless pictures, videos, blogs, detailing her marriage, her pregnancy, motherhood, yep. etc. And I really hate sounding like a broken record, especially because we're only on episode three of this podcast. But again, we have a disparity in the coverage of a missing white woman and a missing black woman. Correct. Again, I know these cases aren't exactly the same, but just because someone puts their entire life on social media does not mean the public should take a specific focus in that person's life, disappearance, or death over anyone else's. Naja and her family deserve justice, and they deserve coverage. I refuse to believe that there aren't people out there who know something about what happened to her. Even the smallest piece of information could help police start a new lead or even crack this case. So I want to share this tip line with you again. I think you vaguely mentioned it, Megan, but mm -hmm. anyone who knows anything about the disappearance or death of Naja Farrell is urged to call Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana, and that phone number is 317-262-TIPS. Mm. I'm mad. This is, like, textbook crazy. I know! And it's so sad. I know. Like, where is she? And that's why I think Shanann's case also got more coverage because you have the conclusion. Like you have something that you can blame it sure. on. Sure. And like I said, I think it was, I don't know if it's episode one or one that we haven't dropped yet, um, but. <laughs> that's not true, we dropped today. We, no, I think it's in the, the next one. Okay. Because <laughs> we are um, boss bitches and we're recording ahead of time so that you can have a scheduled drop, so. We did, pre we did a pretty good job. I think so. But media likes things that are nice and tidy and have a conclusion, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it doesn't hurt when they can dive into the sociopathic, Correct. like, family annihilator when you situation. you have a bad guy, you have somebody to focus on, and you have people to be like, yeah, that guy's a shithead, or, yeah, I was at, um, I worked with him, and I didn't know he would ever do something like this, so it's just the more sound, the more video, the more facts you have in a case, the more likely a news producer like we were to pick it up if there's a nice little timeline and it says here's what happened here's who did it here's when he's sentenced he's spending life in jail that's a good story to put on there not good but easy yeah easier and unfortunately a lot less depressing than being like this mother of five went missing and they found some of her remains and we don't know what happened to her and she's still missing yeah and that's it. <laughs> God. It's crazy. I mean, one of the out national outlets that did do an episode on this, or I guess like a feature yeah. in their nightly news, 
was Dateline. Oh, so we love Dateline. I wouldn't be surprised if down the road, Dateline circles back to this because that's what they do. I hope so, so I hope so too. I mean, it doesn't feel like there's anything huge in what we talked about that would lead to a person or something. I mean, her car was found. Her phone was never found. We have no idea what the items were. Right. Um, If I had to guess, it would be clothing that they could track back to her, maybe an ID or a purse or something. And then you have the foot and only the foot in the retention pond. And that area is so close to Chicago, you get across state lines and then information doesn't get shared. Exactly. After the and once it is increasingly hard for police to find a killer once they've crossed state lines. I know. <laughs> it's so depressing. I'm sad. It's so sad. Uh, and I hope her kids are doing okay. I know. If you guys could just share articles about her story, her anniversary is coming up. I'm sure there will be local news coverage of it. As long as people are talking about her, there's more of a chance that police are going to dig a little bit deeper. I know. Or somebody comes forward. Yeah. Recently, I know in the anniversary from last year... Some of the reporters spoke to IMPD about the case. Even though they didn't take the case, they Mm -hmm. they just kind of asked them to weigh in on it. they might be helping out if they ask for advice or something. Yeah. A lot of times, smaller police departments do ask for help from bigger departments. And the consensus there was kind of, it needs a fresh set of eyes. Like, it, it never hurts. I feel like you hear that a lot in cases that are starting to go cold that... It could never hurt to bring in someone new to look at it and maybe they can see something that you didn't. Or just start over. Start from the beginning. Yeah. Re-interview people you interviewed before. Yeah. Uh, That's it, girl. You did a good job. Thanks. I do remember this case specifically because it was, I mean, probably year one of me being in news. And I might have been just starting to produce. I feel like, yeah, twenty nine, early 2019, I feel like you had just moved to the morning show. Yeah. Because I was on weekends when this happened. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think I was just starting to produce. And I might have been in the point where the producers had me as a writer. So they would have me write teases for, like, this story or put in a reporter hit. So I just remember seeing all of the elements and all of the facts in this case. And I was like, what? Is going on. I know. Ugh. It's, I mean, I really can't, <laughs> it boggles my mind because it's truly one of the most insane things that I have ever heard. Yeah. And I also want to know, I don't know, I just think about that pond and like how far away it was and what, to me, that feels like a sign or a, a message that was trying to be conveyed. because yeah, how do you miss the name? You don't. You don't. That crime is so brutal. Even if she's dead, if you have the stomach to cut up a body... To cut through bone. You're a sick motherfucker. Yeah. You're you're something. Mm -mm. (laughs) 
Well, good job. Thank you. As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due. For this episode, I got my information from Wish TV, WTHR, Fox 59, CBS 4, the Indianapolis Star, ABC 7 in Chicago, NBC News, ABC News, People Magazine, and Oxygen. You can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes. Please make sure you check them out. Bye! Bye.